You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode... 258. I almost said 193 of season three, although that's true too. I'm not supposed to say that anymore. Oh well. Today is November 21st, 2021. And I'm taking a little bit of a risk. I'll tell you at the top here. I am preaching this morning at Summit View Community Church in Evans, Colorado. And I will be honest with you, I worked really hard a week on preparing this sermon. I think, by God's grace, it is my best work. It is as good as I can do. As uh, Henry Kissinger once asked a speechwriter, is this the best you can do? Well, yes, 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 this is the best I can do. I think. But just that niggling thought kept me up quite a lot last night. I didn't lose sleep any other night this week. I did invest a lot of time because I was off. I wasn't working this past week. So I invested a lot of time in preparing the sermon. I printed off three full copies poured over them with a red pen, gave them first to my wife on the first revision, asked her to take a look at it, next to my oldest son Josiah on the second revision, and then third to my son Eli, my second-born son, on the third revision. And I've got the right amount of time when I record myself reading the sermon I need to listen back through it again one more time just to make sure that I'm as familiar as I possibly can be with what it is that I'm saying. So I'm not bound by the manuscript. I don't want to just get up there and spend 45 minutes looking down. I want to be able to look up and engage people and know what it is that I'm saying, having internalized it. But this niggling thought had me lying awake quite a lot last night. Maybe it's as good as I know to make it, but what if that's not good enough? And it's an ironic thing because the subject of the sermon has everything to do with our best not being good enough and that not being the point because God's best is good enough. God's best is good enough so that our best not being good enough is not a deal breaker. And we don't go about in a cavalier way, willy-nilly, shall we sin that grace might abound all the more? God forbid, the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament. But so also, we're not supposed to be paralyzed by fear and doubt in such a way as the Hebrews author tells us would make us sluggish. 
the hope is not for us to be sluggish. The hope is for us to be earnest, not to fall away from the faith, not to grow dull of hearing because we despair, but to have full assurance and for that full assurance to translate into imitating those who have patiently in faith received the promise of God's purpose. But lying awake last night, I was pouring through everything and I was thinking, oh, what if I get up there and I choke, right? I recently talked about my wife and I going to Pikes Peak and trying to drive up Pikes Peak. And with my fear of heights, we got above the tree line. We got to 12,700 feet and some change. We were within a couple of switchbacks of the very, very tippy top. And I couldn't go any further. I don't know if I was going to have a panic attack or what, but I was just, I couldn't go any further. That was my limit. And I don't want to do that this morning. I don't think I will do that this morning. But irrational thoughts sometimes keep us up at night. It's amazing how the silliest of things can throw us for a loop. And in my case this morning, I was on the horns of a dilemma because I woke up. I had a hard time getting to sleep initially. Probably didn't fall asleep until 10.30 or 11 somewhere in there to between 10:30 and 11 and then I woke up and I checked my phone that's my clock that's my watch and it says 3:30 and I think 3:30 ah, that's too early I need to go back to sleep I need to go back to sleep and wake up at let's say 5 or 5:30 and instead instead of that I laid awake from about 3.30 until about 4.15, at which time I decided that's enough. If I'm going to be awake anyways, I might as well get up and do something productive with my life. If I'm going to be awake anyways, I might as well go and listen back through my sermon again because I recorded the audio on the computer. I'll listen back through to familiarize myself. And then I'm thinking also, too, about this preaching and teaching class that Paul Pavlik put on, has put on for several men, myself included. And one of the practical items that he recommended, in addition to uh, make sure you use the restroom before you go up there, you don't want to get up there to preach the sermon and then realize you need an intermission 15 minutes in, 20 minutes in. One of the other practical concerns was make sure to get a good night's rest the night before. You don't want to stay up all night working on your sermon the night before and then come in there the next morning to deliver the sermon and be exhausted and be sleep deprived. That's not good. That's not necessary. It's not helpful. It's not healthy, which ironically was part of what I was thinking about as I was lying awake all night. I'm lying awake thinking about how I really should go to sleep. I'm trying too hard, apparently. Another practical concern 
which Paul Pavlik recommended we attend to before we get up there to preach, is eating a good full breakfast. You don't want to go up there on an empty stomach and be weak and run out of energy and be all shaky. And I still haven't decided if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to eat a full breakfast before I go up there. I guess you'll find out soon enough whether that was a poor life choice if I don't eat breakfast and then it goes badly for me. Typically, if I have some important engagement in the morning, like, for instance, in this case, a sermon, or if I am helping with music on a Sunday morning, I typically don't eat before I do that, just because I don't want any kind of indigestion. I'm not as worried about operating on an empty stomach as I am the thought of operating on a full stomach and the food not setting well. But I probably should just have a a good full breakfast anyways and have that be that. And to be quite honest, I probably shouldn't be recording this podcast as is my routine. But again, on the horns of a dilemma, I thought to myself, you know, if I don't, if I don't record a podcast as per usual, I will keep my voice uh, from getting too tired. I don't want to tax it too much. And it might be too much for me to record a podcast episode and then a few hours later get up and deliver a 45-minute sermon. But then I thought to myself, well, yes. On the other hand, if I warm up my vocal cords before I get up there and am delivering a sermon, that could be worthwhile. And we do that when we're practicing music on Sunday mornings. We practice all of the songs before the actual service. And then, of course, during the service, you run through the songs again. And that is taxing, but also for the best. If I record a podcast episode this morning and I say something off beat or off the wall, and is that going to bother me as I'm up there preaching, as I'm up there thinking about, well, hey, should I have been saying that earlier? Would I say that in the pulpit? Would I say that in a sermon? And as you can tell, since you're listening to this podcast episode, I've decided that the benefits outweigh the cost in warming up my vocal cords, in following through with my routine, in taking a little bit of a break from the sermon. So I'm not obsessing over it. I don't want to be uptight. That could cause more problems than tiring my vocal cords a little bit. So in this episode, that's all I'll say. That's all I'm going to uh, go into the sermon for right now. 12 minutes in. (laughs) I want to talk about Amazon.com's Wheel of Time. And to set this up, I read through all of the Wheel of Time books. 
I listened rather to all of the Wheel of Time audiobooks together combined there are 4,410,036 words in the Wheel of Time. 14 books. 19 days, 5 hours, 25 minutes worth of audio content. Now, listening on double speed, that ends up being only roughly 10 hours. I'm sorry, 10 days. Not 10 hours. <laughs> Not 10 hours. Most of the books in the series are more than 10 hours each at double speed. That ends up being 10 days worth of content. 10 days, two and uh, three quarter hours. And I really enjoyed The Wheel of Time. I, I wouldn't compare it to Lord of the Rings because it is its own property, it is its own animal, it is different. In important ways, yes, it's fantasy, but it is not just a uh, remix, and it isn't just a poser imitating wannabe Lord of the Rings type work. It is its own entity. And so when I found out that Amazon was going to adapt the books for a TV series... I was really excited. And then you find out that Brandon Sanderson is going to be really involved in helping make the books into a TV series. They got Rosamund Pike to play Moiraine. I don't remember the name of the actor from uh, Game of Thrones, but they got one of the big actors from Game of Thrones to play Tam Althor. And the trailer looked really good. The trailer looked like, hey, you know what? I think I think they're going to do a good job with this. You look at the budget, you think, man, they're, they're putting a lot of money into it. Certainly looks like they're uh, invested. Well, last night was our family movie night. Homemade pizza slash family movie night and my sweet dear wife Lauren gave haircuts to Daniel and John they both are looking really sharp now she did a fine job on their haircuts and actually truth be told I derived so much more pleasure from seeing the haircuts that she gave two of our sons so much more pleasure from the pizza than I did from whatever that was that I watched in episode one of The Wheel of Time by Amazon.com. Amazon Prime, Prime Video, whatever you want to call it. It was, quite honestly, extremely disappointing. And I don't want to be unkind. I don't want to be unpleasant or ugly, or rude, or harsh. But that was a dumpster fire. Within the first episode, where the characters were not two-dimensional, and I'll, full props to Rosamund Pike 
She didn't feel so two-dimensional in terms of how she acted out the role of Moiraine. I think she was having to carry too much water in terms of acting ability. Tam Althor had to carry too much. But it doesn't it doesn't feel like the characters, the actors who were playing the characters were given very good direction. It, yeah, nothing against the actors. They're probably fine actors. Probably. They're about as ethnically diverse as they possibly could be, which is fine, but also weird. Also, it feels like Amazon was more concerned with ingratiating itself to the Woketopia with its casting decisions than it was concerned with ingratiating itself to fans of Robert Jordan's series. They paid more attention to making sure they had a representative from every ethnic group under the sun than they did making sure that they were being faithful to the books. And again, already in episode one, major changes to the story arc, major changes to the characters. The characters felt two-dimensional, except insofar as Brandon Sanderson and Prime Video took some major liberties with their writing and their direction. Spoiler alert, stop now if you don't want to find out what happens. But if you're still playing, if you haven't hit the pause button just yet, here we go. Episode one starts with, in dialogue terms, something you might expect, which is a monologue from Moiraine. Rosamund Pike's character. That's fine, but the very first shot is Moiraine's bareback facing the camera as she pulls a robe or a shirt or blouse or whatever up. So she's getting dressed. So the show starts with Moiraine, one of the chief characters, being in a state of partial undress and getting dressed. And as the first visual cue for the show, a lot's being communicated there. For one, you think that you need to keep up with Game of Thrones on flashing a lot of skin. You're patterning your series here more off of what did Game of Thrones offer up in terms of a titillating experience and you're less concerned with again what is Robert Jordan's original vision for this franchise what was in the books people loved the books that's why it's a popular series you bought the rights to adapt the books into a TV show why would you think you can do it better by just completely changing everything. You kept the names of the characters and the places and the barest of 
details, the broadest of details in terms of the plot. And you're changing everything else as you go along to make it more interesting. It was already interesting. It was actually very interesting. But you threw all subtlety and all nuance out the window because apparently we're all junior high boys that want to see women in a state of undress. And that's what you think people need. That's what they depend on now in order to watch something. It gets better. And by better, I mean worse. As the show goes on, we're introduced to these three friends, Randall Thor, Perrin Ibarra, Matt Cawthon. And it's been a while. I mean, 10 days of audiobook listening, cumulative. Even when I had just finished the very last book, it had been a while since I had started the first book. But I feel like I would have remembered Randall Thor and Egwene having an intense horn dog makeout session in the first book. I feel like I would have remembered the next time you see them on screen after their intense makeout scene. I feel like I would have remembered them being shown putting their clothes back on because they've apparently just had a roll in the hay. For that matter, I don't recall Moiraine and Lan Mandregorin climbing into a bathtub together at any point in the entire series, much less the first chapter of the first book. I don't recall that. I don't remember ever thinking to myself, man, Robert Jordan is really showing us a lot of the backside of Land Mandragoran. My children, meanwhile, all got to see the backside of the actor who plays Land Mandragoran, which is awkward. Really awkward. Now, somebody might say, well, Garrett, you probably should have looked up more about the show before you watched it with your kids. Here was my mistake. I read the books, and I presumed that as far as the books go, that was as far as the TV show was going to go. Foolish me. Naive. Live and learn. But I presumed if there's a little bit of romance, if there's a little bit of something further on into the books, later on in the books, that Amazon would have the good taste and the good judgment to go no further than the books go. Uh, I was wrong, apparently. And uh, if they took as much liberty with episode one as to write love scenes and partial nudity into the story from the jump, then one might wonder whether as the show goes on into parts of the books where there is a little bit of suggestion here and there of a romantic interest or interaction, it's going to be downright explicit. It's going to be downright um, 
It'll be Game of Thrones, and maybe they'll even try to one-up Game of Thrones. Who knows? But they didn't stop there. That was awkward. That was uncomfortable and unexpected. And now my kids are like, Dad, what are you having us watch? Like, what is this? Ew. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, this was not in the books. This is not faithful to the books. I am. Where's the remote? But it got better. And by better, I mean worse. Because apparently, Brandon Sanderson and Jeff Bezos and the brilliant minds over at Amazon.com thought the show would have more drama. It would be more interesting if... Perrin Ibarra, one of the three Taviran, happened to be married at the beginning of the show. Now, in the books, if memory serves, and I double-checked with my cousin Micah, who also read the books. I've got a couple of cousins that read through all of the books. and Some of them have read through the books multiple times, if you can believe it. They love The Wheel of Time just that much. But... I seem to remember, or at least had the impression, reading Wheel of Time, that at the beginning of the series, these three friends, and I'm excluding Egwene and Nynaeve, and I shouldn't exclude them, but these five friends, if you will, or three friends, are like in their teens, like mid to late teens, like 15, 16, something like that, not 20 and maybe they're 15 and they're married, but I don't recall Perrin Ibarra being married at the outset of the first book. And yet, Amazon decided it would not only be more interesting for him to be married and for his wife to be this blacksmith character who's just kind of like, she's the moody, withdrawn, strong, silent type, and he's the one who's like, let's cuddle Spoiler alert, he accidentally, brutally murders his wife with an axe to the guts during this big battle scene. They're both fighting this Trolloc who's broken into the forge, blacksmith forge, and he comes around and swings this axe at her, and she takes it right in the belly. And next thing you know, she topples over and she's just got blood everywhere and blood's coming out of her mouth and it's all over her face and it's all over his face and it's all over everywhere. And it's just this very, very intense and jarring, violent scene. And of course, that's supposed to set up that Perrin has this deep emotional scar from having killed his own wife. And how's he going to cope with himself? How is he going to ever live with himself knowing that he accidentally killed his own wife? But wow, like that's not a minor change. That's a huge, that's a tectonic change that you just made to the show, to the series, to the story. And ew, gross. Like what were you thinking? Go home, Amazon. You're drunk. Clearly, somebody was on some kind of mind-altering substance that impaired their judgment, or a whole lot of you guys just went on a trip together with some bad drugs. Not some good drugs. You know, it's funny, back in the day, 
some very creative types, like in the 70s, used to write songs and make books and movies while high on LSD or what have you. So I'm told. And they created some very interesting content, if bizarre. And I don't think you you got the... I don't don't think you have it. I don't think you have that ability to do drugs and produce good content. I think you actually... You got a hold of the wrong drugs or some bad drugs or... I don't know. But... What? What? So also... Matt Cawthon, one of the Taviran, his dad is philandering. His mother tells him that he's going to be just like his father. He's going to amount to nothing. He's worthless. So she's very verbally abusive. His dad is worthless. He is a profligate gambler from the outset, gambling away money that really should have gone to helping provide for his sisters who his parents are just absolutely not attending to at all. He's the caretaker for his sisters. I don't recall his story arc having started off that way. I don't remember that. That's uh, that's a new one. Meanwhile, Moiraine gets in a big battle with the Trollocs to try and defend the town. She's there to find these Taviran. And she takes a spike or arrow or something to the chest, like a big one. A big one like that should have killed you. And not only is it not plausible that she took that big of a weapon to the chest, from the Trollocs and didn't immediately die. It is also completely made up. That is not in the books. That did not happen in the books and it didn't need to happen in the TV series adaptation either. That was not a good change. That was not a beneficial change. This is where it's important to remind you all of something that I have said before. Change can be good. Change is a part of life. Not all change is beneficial. Episode one of The Wheel of Time by Amazon. Case study par excellence. Not all change is beneficial. Because here's a whole bunch of changes which actually were pretty dumb. Pretty awful. Pretty pretty dumb changes. There's no subtlety whatsoever. You know, I was thinking, in comparison to Lord of the Rings by Peter Jackson... There's this great setup where the hobbits have this idyllic, off-the-beaten-path, insulated existence. And you're introduced to Samwise Gamgee and Frodo Baggins at the tavern. There's a big celebration. And Samwise has a love interest who he is feeling just too shy to go and ask to dance And Frodo knows this, and Frodo's a good friend. And so as she is dancing and keeps looking over at him, expecting, like, you can ask me to dance. She's dancing 
with the whole group and they're doing kind of a, a jig or something like that. Frodo at a certain point just grabs Sam and pushes him into the path of his love interest. And next thing you know, she grabs hold of him and, oh, yeah, okay, we're dancing. And Frodo smiles to himself because he's just helped a brother out. And it's charming. It's charming that Sam has this kind of a a shy interest, reserved. It's charming that Frodo's looking out for his friend. Hey, I'm going to give you a little bit of a nudge here to get you off dead center. You're being too cautious. None of that is present in the Amazon adaptation of Wheel of Time. The instant that Rand and Egwene are alone together, you've got Rand pulling a berry out of his pocket, and he's going to have this like Fifty Shades of Grey type suggestive moment with her, which is like, what? Like, again, not subtle, not subtle at all. And then when she comments that, hey, that's been in your pocket all day, you, he just lays one on her. And next thing you know, they are making out hot and heavy like two horn dog teenagers who are very familiar. One gets the impression that not only did the producers of The Wheel of Time for Amazon watch a whole lot of Game of Thrones to get their inspiration, but so also these young people in the two rivers watched a lot of game of thrones and they are very acquainted apparently with how things go but in robert jordan's books that's not the impression that's not the feeling you get you don't get the feeling that hey every time these young people get alone together they're just tearing off their clothes and being wild together. No. And the the show would have been far better if not for this apparent insecurity. Apparently, you don't feel like this show is interesting, this story is interesting, unless it has a whole lot of sex in it from the jump. We need sex. If we don't get sex in the first episode a whole bunch of people are just going to not tune in they're not going to watch it because apparently that's the only thing that makes a show interesting what come on as a counter example and my oldest son Josiah was pointing this out look no further than Dune by Denis Villeneuve, this most recent film adaptation of Frank Herbert's 1965 science fiction epic. That movie just screams admiration for the story that Frank Herbert came up with. It is obvious in every shot, in every line, in every wardrobe choice, in what limited CGI there is, which doesn't carry the whole movie, 
it's just just enough here and there but let's keep the focus on the characters and on the story and on what's happening the technology wouldn't be the obsession for these characters they wouldn't be like geeking out like oh can you believe that we have ornithopters yeah it's fantastic like let's spend five minutes straight showing you how great our cgi team is even though there's a story that still needs to be told no Danny, director writer one of the writers for dune tells the story because people already like the story. The story's good already. You don't need to make it better. In fact, there's a loyal fan base, which presumably is the reason why you're making the story. Just get out of the story's way and let the story be told. The story was engaging enough in the case of The Wheel of Time. And you couldn't just let it be. You had to make it better. But you know what? Actually, this is Exhibit A for what is so awful about the left and about wokeism and about progressivism, about the whole penumbra around the Constitution, and we can interpret special rights that aren't actually there, and everything is a living document. That way of thinking doesn't just apply to the United States Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, all of American history. It also applies to fabulous fantasy series like The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. You come in, you read it, and you think, yeah, you know what? I think this scene would be a lot better with more of Landman Dragoran's bare backside. Write it in. Now, to be clear, there's obviously a, an attachment between Moiraine and Lan through all of the books he is tied to her through magic as her bodyguard and there is a genuine affection and devotion and loyalty there between the two of them but the very fact that it never gets physical that you see at least that that's never shown there's just a warmth and a love between the two of them and mutual respect between the two of them mutual devotion between the two of them the fact that that all is shown explicitly without physical intimacy being shown explicitly is an important part of the story that's an important part of the narrative for amazon to say we're going to make it sexual because we can't imagine people being intimate, friends, confidants, devoted to one another, apart from getting sexual gratification. And we won't believe that they have that sexual component if we can't see it. It really does support what Carl Truman talks about in Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. The modern self, which is a creature of the left, has sexualized the self. To where you're not actually a person unless you are expressing your sexuality publicly for all to see. The highest good for people is to express themselves. And because we're sexual creatures, first and foremost, 
according to this way of thinking, you can't really express yourself unless you're expressing your sexuality without any hindrance, without any reservation, without any discretion, ultimately. The Wheel of Time is a great example of what happens when the woke topia gets a hold of literally anything. And quite honestly, it's amazing to me that Jeff Bezos and the folks at Amazon thought this was going to be a good investment. If you haven't noticed, the whole woke business is not going to last forever. You think that that's the right side of history. It's embarrassing. And honestly, funny story, I find myself thinking about my sermon this morning, thinking about having worked on it all week. You know, after watching what it is that Amazon did with the Wheel of Time, how much money they spent on the Wheel of Time, my sermon, if it's better than that, (laughs) I'm a great deal less embarrassed than I would be if I had just spent however many untold millions of dollars were spent on Wheel of Time producing whatever that was. I wrote a scathing review because I want Amazon and everybody to know, hey, this is awful. And what's funny too is when you go to Amazon to look at Wheel of Time, it's got a three and a half out of five star rating. And then you go and you look and it's like 28%, a full 28% of the reviews are one star ratings. And you go reading through and it's like all of the recent reviews are with one exception, maybe all of them are one star ratings for very similar reasons to why I just gave it a one star rating. A lot of fans who are like, this is ridiculous. I think it was like 30% gave it a five star rating. And then you've got kind of this dropping off of three two-star ratings. And there's this little qualifier there underneath the uh, metrics, like a closer in-depth look of how they came up with three and a half stars to display to everybody. And there's a little explanation that it's not strictly an average. We don't, it's not strictly an average uh, of all of the ratings. You know, we, we look at the reviews and see, you know, if they're relevant or how recent they are or what have you. You know, what it actually is, if literally everybody gave your new show a one-star rating and you had to display it as a one-star rating because just the algorithm, just the math, that would be hugely embarrassing. And it's not beyond the pale for these big tech companies to go in and win some leftist woke property is getting bombed. Go in and just delete thousands of reviews that are negative. Just go in and fix it. But we all know what's up. You you would have invested money better donating $10 million worth of laxatives to pig farms. Sorry. I got to leave it there, though. I think my voice is warmed up. I need to go get a shower run through listening to my sermon once more. 
if you do watch The Wheel of Time on Amazon, you were warned. But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.